Welcome back to the Not Your Mama podcast. This is your host, Kelly Bryant. I am the creator and founder of Kelly Bryant Wellness, and I'm a yoga teacher and personal trainer who specializes in core and pelvic floor health. So today our topic is menstrual cramps. Yay! So I've been posting a fair amount about menstrual cramps on Instagram lately, and a lot of the feedback I've gotten has been that it's really, really helpful. So I wanted to put all of my top tips in one place that I can refer people to, and hopefully you'll find this to be super helpful. So I'll give you a very brief background into my own experience with menstrual cramps, which is that pretty much as soon as I got my period, I started having horrible menstrual cramps. I was not a super active kid, um, which I've shared before on the podcast, and I just... you know, I was sidelined by cramps and I didn't have, you know, not being an active person. It's not like I was doing yoga. I didn't really have any coping mechanisms except like a heating pad and mitol. And those things did not work. So I went on to a hormonal oral contraceptive pretty much at like 16, maybe 17 young in order to manage cramps. And I was on oral contraceptives until I was 25, maybe, maybe 26, somewhere around there. And then I switched to hormonal birth control in an IUD. So I was on hormonal birth control until I had my IUD removed in order to get pregnant, which I did in one cycle. So I got the IUD out and I was pregnant within a cycle. So I basically never experienced from the time I was 16 until I was um, over a year yeah, over a year, right about a year postpartum, I didn't experience a quote unquote natural or um, hormone free, external hormone free period. And woof, it was rough those first few periods. And I was like, you know, I don't know if this is like my my new normal, like something changed as a result of pregnancy, or if this is just what it always was and it was being dulled by oral contraceptives. I've had a great conversation on my Instagram with my friend, Dr. Kirsten, and we talked a bunch about how um, when you're on oral contraceptive, the period that you're having is not actually a period. It is not a full shedding of the uterine lining. It is a withdrawal period where basically you're reducing the amount of oral uh, hormone that you're taking and that results in bleeding, but it's not actually the same. But both on a hormonal IUD and um, oral contraceptive, my menstrual cramps were, well, my period was very, very light and irregular and my cramps were totally manageable. But for many of you, I know from talking to people on Instagram and talking to clients, I know many of us after, you know, having been on hormonal birth control for much of our life, all of our adult life, most, many of us, we don't necessarily choose to go right back onto hormonal birth control postpartum. There's a whole host of issues. And I want to be clear, I'm not a doctor. I haven't even necessarily looked into these concerns personally, if they're not my own concerns, but you know, some people are concerned about breastfeeding and how it might influence breastfeeding or influence the baby. Some people just don't like the effect of hormonal birth control on their own body. All kinds of different concerns or reasons that people might choose to forego getting back on the pill 
or, you know, maybe you're planning to have another baby. I know for me, I didn't want to get an IUD back in because I hadn't really decided if I was going to have another kid or not. And the first IUD was so miserable to get in that I didn't want to get it in and then get it out again if I did decide to have another kid. So I kind of went cold turkey on, you know, external hormones and many of my clients and many of you listeners have probably done the same thing. So you may be struggling with really serious period cramps for the first time in your life, or it could be that you've had these all along. So I'll give the disclaimer first that I'm not super familiar personally with PCOS and endometriosis, so I don't know a ton about Um, how well the techniques that I'm sharing will work for you if you have either of those things. There's no reason that what I'm suggesting as kind of these tips or tricks that you can try wouldn't apply if you do have endo or PCOS. So give them a shot, see if they work for you. The other thing that I will say is, um, and none of this is medical advice, right? You you guys know that. Do I have to say that part? Um, I am encouraging you to experiment on yourself. So keep a notebook. This is like, as humans, we're really not great at remembering data in our head. Our being, our brains are built for uh, drawing conclusions and making generalizations. And so we have a lot of bias in the way that we think. And that's designed to, you know, to make decision making and things super efficient. But if you want to be able to judge if these techniques are working for you, you kind of have to keep like a journal and pay attention to which of the things Kelly suggested did I try and what were what was my pain like when I did. So the first few things that I'll suggest um, are really simple, just things that help with cramping in general. And this is worth either going and checking out my friend at Dr. Kirsten, K-I-R-S-T-I-N on Instagram or go to her website, but she has lots of um, recommendations for like what helps with muscle cramps in general. But things like being hydrated and having enough magnesium are really simple ways to potentially improve your cramps. So if you have chronic, awful period cramps, it's worth, in my opinion, getting some blood work done. So rather than just jumping straight on to let me do hormonal birth control and I'll do that for the rest of my life until I go through menopause, you can just get some blood work done and you know she would know what exactly you want to have drawn or what you want to have pulled. But um, see if there's some underlying micronutrient um, deficiencies that could be contributing to those cramps. So again, magnesium, and plenty of water are the two that come to mind for me. But you can also Google like what causes muscle cramps because uterine cramps are just muscle cramps. They're just a version of muscle cramps. So anything that helps with regular muscle cramps has a very good chance of helping with uterine muscle cramps. So that's thing number one. Address the underlying things that could be contributing to having crampier than average muscles. Thing number two, and this is my own kind of woo-woo take. This is like me as a movement practitioner and things that I've tried on myself. I know that my hip flexors are very tight. Your hip flexors, specifically your psoas muscle, runs from the top of your thigh. It runs through your pelvis, right past your uterus, and attaches to your low back. For me, when I have period cramps, the two areas that hurt the most 
are down the front of my hip toward my thigh and in my back. So I kind of went, hmm, I wonder if this is a psoas thing because I know I have really tight hip flexors. And tight is kind of a colloquial term that we use. But for my purposes, I was I had a hunch that maybe there was some adhesions happening around my um, my hip flexors. So those muscles, the psoas muscles, as they run through and past all of the organs in the abdomen, maybe they were getting stuck or adhered through connective tissue onto some of those other areas. Or maybe they were just like inflamed or irritated or shortened in a way that when other parties in the neighborhood, like the uterus, got crampy, they got crampy too, right? So we know that castor oil, if anyone is familiar with castor oil as a um, quote unquote natural, it's not natural, as an induction method, it basically, it's this thing that you drink, it's this oil that you drink. And it makes you like violently sick and your intestines get so cramped that your intestines are cramping and they cause the uterus to cramp along with them, thereby inducing labor. So putting on my thinking cap, I'm like, well, why wouldn't it happen in reverse that my uterus is cramping and it's so irritated that it's, you know, other muscles or other parts of the body are kind of going along with it and getting crampy as well, right? We also know many people have um, like uh, intestinal effects from their period, right? They have diarrhea when they have their period or they have the opposite. They, They get constipated when they have their period because their intestines are all kinds of funky with the uterus being in there and cramping up and stuff. So I figured maybe this is, maybe the hip flexor muscle tightness is part of this. And in my own, you know, single person, non-professional study, it feels to me like if I spend some extra time stretching and massaging my hip flexors in the week leading up to my period, not when I'm on my period having these awful cramps, but ahead of time. So trying to get those muscles to kind of like get less irritated, less crampy ahead of time, I seem to have less severe uh, menstrual cramps. So that's something you can try. If you go on my Instagram, I have lots of videos of how to do belly massage. You can also just reach out to me and I'll point you to the right posts, but you can do belly massage. You can roll your hip flexors with a foam roller. You can stretch your hip flexors, basically anything that is designed to give length and space to your hip flexors, or I'm going to say it one more time, your psoas muscle, that's P-S-O-A-S. So you could go Google that if you want to. That's thing number two. So thing number one was just any underlying causes that might be contributing to muscle cramping, like dehydration or um, micronutrient deficiency, address those. Number two is address tight hips or hip flexors. So the other muscles that are in the neighborhood nearby, you might know for yourself, if you have kind of chronic on and off low back pain, you might know that your low back is awful when you get menstrual cramps. And so addressing that underlying issue of the low back and especially addressing it right before you get your period could reduce the intensity of cramps. Number three, what to do when you're in the throes of it, uh, heat and pressure. Those are two things that are often used in labor for uterine cramping, right? A lot of my suggestions are based on things that I learned in 
my own birth prep classes and in my prenatal yoga teacher training, which was um, very focused on um, kind of preparing clients for birth. So there was a strong bent of um, birth education in there as well. So we know that hot water is proven to help heat in general, but definitely hot water has proven to be effective in reducing the intensity of um, labor pain. So why not? We use hot running water. And this is intuitive, right? You guys know these things. Sometimes it's helpful to like maybe be reminded because you're like, yeah, I do know that works, but sometimes I don't prioritize it because like you just get into the throes of the misery and you forget that there's anything that you can do for yourself to make it better, right? Not just me. Please tell me it's not just me. So I'm reminding you of things that you probably already know. And if it was me and I'm going to, you know, draw myself a bath, I would just go ahead and throw some Epsom salts in there. Epsom salts help with muscle cramping kind of more superficially, right? I, I, again, this is just my own brain, but to me, I'm like, it's hard to imagine that the, um, Epsom salts are actually being absorbed all the way down at the level of the uterus. Like that's pretty dang deep. But if we think that maybe the legs, the low back, the more superficial muscles are experiencing so much pain because they're going along for the crampy ride with the uterus, well, heck, why wouldn't Epsom salts help? If Epsom salts help in general with muscle cramping, doesn't really matter what the source is. If your thighs are cramping, your thighs are cramping. If your glutes are cramping, if your low back is cramping, you might as well try it. So I would throw Epsom salts in there. If you feel weird, I've had someone say this to me, if you feel weird about getting in a bathtub with your own period blood, put in um, a cup, right? So just uh, like a menstrual cup or a disc, something like that, that doesn't allow water in, doesn't allow blood out, just kind of, right? I would feel weird about going into a bath with a tampon because I don't know, I've been, I've been off the tampon train for so long. They just freak me out in general. Um, so personally I would do a cup or a disc over something that's going to absorb bath water into my vagina, but that's on you, boo. You get to choose that for yourself. Um, but that is an option. You also obviously can do, uh, just a shower, hot water, like running on your back. If you're in a child's pose under the water. Um, and, a heating pad, right? Heating pad's your best friend. You can lay down with a heating pad right before bed, or um, I always keep mine at the ready if I think I might get my period overnight and I'm going to get hit by those cramps and not want to like get up and draw a bath at 3 a.m. or something. I keep it right by my bed. Um, you can also use those like rice sock things that you microwave. <coughs> Sometimes those get, um, you kind of get like in to the like nooks and crannies of your gut a little bit better. Um, and pressure. So using, this is totally personal preference, right? I said before, you might not feel like it feels good to massage your hip flexors, right? To be like digging in there with your fingertips when you're having menstrual cramps, but just, you know, tucking into a tight little ball, getting into a narrow knee child's pose. So there's gentle pressure against your belly might be super helpful for you. So that might be a useful technique. So that was point number three, heat, water, and pressure. Point number four, and this is where we're bringing it home. This is a Kelly Bryant original. I I mean, I'm not going to say that I like made this up because there may be lots of other people in the world who have like done this intuitively themselves, but I was thinking to myself, 
there was a day that I was making pancakes and I had just gotten my period and I was like, I'd taken something for it, but, um, I wasn't like, I was still in the throes of the cramps. And my daughter was like begging me to make her pancakes because that's what we do together on Friday mornings. And I was like, oh, I have to make these pancakes, but I feel like crap. So I'm standing in the kitchen and I'm like, you know, there's this thing called um, shaking the apples, which is like a natural birth technique or an unmedicated birth technique where a birth assistant like uses their hands to like shake, like loosely shake the thighs of the birthing person and, or the like butt cheeks, basically the thighs or the butt of the birthing person. And that for whatever reason, and I have a few theories as to why, but hold tight for whatever reason, that shaking helps reduce pain. Additionally, I learned through a uh, colleague, Christina Holland, on Instagram. She's a uh, pelvic floor PT. I learned through her page that if you can twerk, (laughs) aka if you can kind of like loosely shake your butt cheeks, that means that they're not clenched. And that's a really good litmus test for whether or not you're clenching your pelvic floor. So theoretically, if you're having pain, right? Uterine cramping, that's really painful. You're probably clenching your pelvic floor and clenching is going to increase the intensity of the pain. So what can we do to decrease the intensity of the pain? We have to get the pelvic floor to unclench. And one way that we can make that happen is to get the butt cheeks shaking, meaning not engaged. So able to like kind of jiggle loosely so that we can tell that they're for sure not engaged. And there's this thing called gate control theory, which says that your brain is not great. Like your nervous system is not great at experiencing different types of sensation at the same time. So this is one of the reasons that um, running water, which has like pressure to it or heat can be effective in reducing pain. It's the same thing with shaking. If you're giving your body this input of like vibration or jiggliness, it's hard for your body to perceive that, but also to perceive pain at the same time. So we can kind of like overwhelm the ability to feel pain by giving the body some other kind of like weird, unusual, novel sensation at the same time. So all of that led me to think, what would it feel like if I just tried shaking, like jiggling my whole body? And it is super effective. It obviously looks really freaking weird. So it's not like you can sit on a Zoom meeting and just be like, like I'm just jiggling my body. But if you have to be like standing up doing something, but you're in the privacy of your own home or you don't care what people think about you, try it. Try like jiggling your leg, stand on one leg, jiggle the other, stand on the other leg, jiggle the first, jiggle your like hips, your pelvis, your guts, shimmy, All of that jiggling is also another way of kind of resetting the nervous system. So when you're in this, when you're in pain, your body responds, like I was saying before, by like clenching and resisting and creating more fear and fear creates more tightness and more tightness creates more pain. When we jiggle and we shake, we give the nervous system like this reset, right? Picture like your dog, you know, getting up, stretching and then like shaking, that is like a really great way to kind of like short circuit pain and get the body to kind of reset and experience hopefully a little bit less intense sensation of pain. So those are my tools for you today. You can use just dietary check. Are there reasons that you're having more intense um, 
cramping, muscular cramping. And, you know, I'll say hand in hand with that, my friends with PCOS or endometriosis, if there's a dietary component, if there's other things that you can do that work for you to reduce the intensity of those issues, do those things. Point number two, massage and stretch and work with the muscles that are around your uterus in the week leading up to your period, especially if you know you have really tight hips or really tight thighs or really tight abs, things like that. Number three, use water heat pressure to reduce the intensity of cramping. And number four, shake it out, jiggle. And I'll add a bonus one, number five, which is there is no shame in taking pain medicine if you are having really severe cramping. So I know for me, it was some trial and error, but ultimately I have found that a leave. As soon as I start my period, first sign of blood, I don't usually feel any cramps yet. And if I take an leave at that moment, sometimes I will not have almost any sensation of cramping at all. I mean, I won't say not any, but very little sensation of cramping, even if I do nothing else. So I just happened to discover that one leave at the very beginning of my period works for me. Sometimes I miss it, right? Sometimes I miss that very first sign of my period. And so I use all of these other tools until that leave can kick in. But this is where your own journaling is going to be super helpful. Figure out, is it naproxen sodium that works for you? Is it ibuprofen? Is it acetaminophen? You can, of course, Google these things and see what you think is going to work best for you. But ultimately, you just kind of try it for yourself and figure out what the appropriate dosing, frequency, all of that is. And there's no shame in doing that if you're once a month taking a single painkiller. I know that I and many of my clients are like, I don't like to take medicine because I like to know how sick I am, or I like to know, am I in pain? What's going on here? So, you know, if you don't want to take something, that's totally fine. Or, you know, under current circumstances, you know, some people are like, I'm not supposed to take fever reducers because of COVID. So I have to be able to, you know, for my job or something, I need to be able to take my temperature and know that I don't have a fever. Um, or I don't want to affect my immune response by taking something that reduces a fever. Again, I'm not a doctor. You make your own choices on that front, but there isn't any shame. There's no rule against taking a pain medicine. You're not weak if you do it. Totally a great option for a lot of us, okay? So I hope that this has been super helpful. If you loved this episode and it was really useful for you, all of the things that I talked about here are they have a like basis in science for why they would work. And I've tested them on myself and a lot of my clients have used them as well. So save this episode, listen to it again right before you get your next period, send it to a friend who bleeds monthly. And I hope that this has been super helpful. Reach out to me and let me know if you loved it. All right. Bye friends. Any of the resources mentioned in today's episode will be available in the show notes. So go ahead to your podcast app and open up the show notes, or you can find them right on my website. And I would be so grateful if you would share today's episode with a friend. So just go back to your podcast app, hit the share button and send the link over to someone who you think would benefit from this. And lastly, if you want bonus brownie points, you can go rate and review the podcast. This helps new subscribers find us and get some awesome benefits from listening to today's episode. Thanks again for being here and have an awesome week.